Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. Today I'm at Dos Pueblos High School with Bill Woodard, principal of DP. And let's like dive right in with graduation because that's on everybody's mind. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing well. Um, we uh, have our plan in place now. I feel a lot better now that we have our plan because we we were you know touch and go for a while about what we were going to do, and now that it's coming together, we're we're really excited about it. So what, what's going on with graduation? This is such a big milestone in the lives of high school students. And so much of what happens the last few months of the year is, is memorable. They remember this for the rest of their lives. For a lot of people, it's the highlight of their lives. You know, it's like things they're going to remember along with, you know, their college graduation, their wedding, their kids, that senior year of high school. Talk to me a little bit about what you have been trying to do and what staff has been trying to do to sort of make graduation as meaningful as possible under these circumstances. Yeah, so um, we've met, we started a, a graduation committee at the district with the three uh, high school principal, uh, four high school principals with uh, La Cuesta Alta Vista, along with uh, the junior highs for promotion. We just started like, what are we gonna do? It's really about five or six weeks ago and the landscape was changing and once we realized that things were going to be shut down through the end of the school year um, Santa Barbara High with their Peabody Stadium project they're like we're just going to wait and we're going to wait no matter how long it takes uh, because California needs to be in stage four of the recovery plan before we can gather as a group to do a graduation we started thinking okay what can we do instead and everybody had all kinds of ideas so we we decided to survey our parents and families and what do you really want and of course they all wanted a live graduation uh, experience and didn't want something virtual wanted something real um, so we at DP brainstormed about what we could do and we're fortunate we have a really big parking lot in the student lot and we also have a kind of road that kind of snakes through the campus so our vision is we're gonna replicate the graduation ceremony just in cars which we're allowed to do under the public health guidelines they set pretty strict guidelines at first we were gonna have them even walk across the stage by themselves but then the county came out and said that's not allowed even by themselves and some of our parents were like well I can wait in line at Costco with 500 other people six feet apart why can't my kid walk across a stage by themselves and get their picture taken and it's because of the the social gathering involved that the rules are very similar to like a, a faith-based group who wanted to do something like that anyway yeah. so we're going to uh on june 3rd we're going to have a it's going to start with a parade through the campus from the on the cafeteria road we call it which snakes through the campus and we're going to have all of our staff lined up everybody's going to decorate their cars signs play pomp and circumstance whatever it's going to be like the walk into the stadium but walk through the campus in your car with your family yeah. and then they're going to come up to the parking lot we're going to have a, a valet company socially distance all the cars appropriately and we're going to be showing all kinds of videos and montages and the cool thing about dp what we're able to do is we have this big performing arts center that's a big huge wall near the parking lot and we're going to get these super high powered projectors and project once dusk comes onto the onto the EPAC, and as all the cars are driving in, drive-in movie style, uh, we're gonna have all of the montages of all the senior stuff happening. We're able to have five people run the ceremony outside of their cars, so we can have our kids give their traditional speeches, just like in the graduation ceremony. I'll give some remarks. I have a couple surprises planned that I can't give away to, uh, but then we will uh, also have every graduate. Uh, up there on the screens by themselves to symbolize their 
graduation moment. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of cars honking their horns during that time. And then we're going to have some sort of grand finale, kind of like we can't replicate them throwing their hat in the air. Um, so we're trying to think about what we can do to finish it. But our families are pretty excited about the plan. Of course, we haven't closed the door to future things. So we've said down the road, if we can throw you a prom, we'll, we're in. If you really want another graduation ceremony after this one, um, we're open to it. So we've not closed the door to other things. But the more we get, the closer we get to this, the more excited we are now that the plan is coming together Um and I think our families are really appreciative of all the hard work and putting it together. How many students will be graduating? Uh, DP, about 460. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to visualize that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what does that look like with that many cars? And, and I, I, are we inviting family members as well? Or what's that going to look like? So the public health requirement is uh, only uh, five people per car. Okay. And they have to be in the same, uh, reside in the same, you know, housing unit. Yeah. So we have to kind of uh, rely on our families to follow the, the spirit and letter of that uh, regulation. Um, some have asked already, like, well, my parents are divorced and they don't even live together. Can I get two cars? And so we're going to have them RSVP next week and see how many. Yeah. Uh, also, kids who don't have a car. We want to know we don't want them left out. So we are going to make sure we have the ability to loan them a car or some sort of a way. We have school vans and stuff. We'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, but there are some logistical things that we haven't even thought of yet that we're probably going to have to work through. We do have enough space in that parking lot to fit about 500 cars, though. So we're, we think we can make it work. Okay, so eventually everybody just parks in the lot and sort of watches from their car, right? Yeah, after the, the parade with their family through mm -hmm. the cars, uh, through the campus. And that's kind of, I think, a cool symbolic thing that we can do to replicate kind of them walking into the stadium with all their family around. Uh, we don't usually have every teacher and staff member there, but they're all fired up to participate in this parade. But then they're going to be parked by a private company that knows how to space everybody appropriately. And, and then that'll be around dusk, and then we'll start the ceremony once it gets dark. Will, the, will there be a transfer of any sort of diploma at all, or how will that work? Um, I'm going to share my frustration with the public health order. We're not allowed to even have bathrooms up. We can't have uh, any exchange of anything so we're going to uh, uh, distribute diplomas and those kind of things later but the cool things about the dp graduation it's always been a little bit casual in a fun way so all the kids decorate their mortarboards and uh, we have a sunflower tradition every kid gets a sunflower takes a picture by this we call it the amy car the charger the iconic charger car so we're going to find ways to do those things just maybe not during that ceremony itself well, when I graduated from DP, it was at Harder Stadium. Mm -hmm. It was at UCSB. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that um, a lot of planning has gone into all of this. What's been the impact that you've seen on your school? And how are students dealing with not being able to go to school to learn, to have that familiarity with their teachers, but also that social uh, gathering that they became accustomed to with all, the, all their friends? Everybody talks about, not liking school, right? Everybody talks, oh, they got to go to school or we're looking forward to the weekend. But the truth is, when you t actually take school away, people miss it. And that structure is so important. And it's part of our routine. At this school, how are you sort of managing all of the different impacts that we're experiencing? Yeah, that has been the biggest aha moment. The kids who said they didn't like school the most are the ones telling us they miss it the most right now. And the other thing that has been really eye-opening, not eye-opening, but just we realize so much more about 
how important the socialization part of high school is intertwined with the educational mission of the school. And it's been, we really have, uh, I, I could talk for a million hours on all the impacts, but the biggest takeaway I think we've had is that all the things that we want students to learn how to do uh, around collaboration, critical thinking, uh, creativity, project-based learning, all these things that only can happen when they're together on the campus. You can try on Zoom. Uh, you can do content on Zoom. You can do some collaboration creativity. And our teachers have been phenomenal on these, on making it work. Uh, but there are things that you can't replicate uh, in that remote learning. And especially when you're doing it on the fly. Um, and I shared with our staff after the week, I didn't come up with this saying, but I heard it and I, I it's real. We weren't, we're not doing remote or learning or just learning we're doing emergency COVID-19 learning right now yeah. and so um, uh, we know that the social emotional part of what's happening to our kids is at the forefront of, of what we need to deal with um, we've had increases in depression um, I'll be frank we've had uh, multiple in our district uh, suicide attempts that have been reported um, and other kids are thriving, you know, and are enjoying the, the freedom of learning more on their own pace. So it's a mixed bag, um, and we have to kind of adjust every week to what's going on. It's, it's definitely been, um, I mean, I've never worked harder. I don't think our teachers have ever worked harder. Um, and some of them have little kids at home, but they're trying to do childcare and teach. And so my hat's off to everybody trying to make this work, for sure. Well, let me ask you this. If you think that the impacts are harder on the students who were already sort of struggling in the organized mm -hmm. uh, structural setting. Are you seeing a bigger impact with maybe the underrepresented students? Or, you know, you talk about depression mm -hmm. and anxiety mm -hmm. and some of the uh, unfortunate uh, attempted uh, suicides. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about the students who were already sort of struggling in the school system even before all this? Yeah, um, for some of them. Some of them, this has exacerbated things that they were dealing with already. Others have reported the isolation of, you know, being in their homes. And some of their home environments were not, this was their safe place to be. This was the people who cared about them. Um, if maybe some of them were not having had very stable home in life, uh, it's definitely hitting those students harder. And we have been focusing our efforts on reaching them and connecting with them doing things to support them. What are some of the positive outcomes from this? Students have had to become very deeply familiar with remote learning, with technology, with Zoom, uh, teachers having to figure out on the fly how to connect with their students. What have you seen some of the sort of uh, forced breakthroughs and how teachers deliver information to students because of all this. Is, have we made some progress in all this? Yeah, um, I think the education everybody's saying is never going to be the same as it, as it was. And what is really uh, rising to the top is what are we even teaching? What, what do we care about? And so if you have to do essentialism learning, right? what's essential? Are we... Do we care about the content or do we care about the skills? And if we care about the skills, we want them to learn how can we maximize that in this remote space? And so what the teachers have found is like on Zoom, for example, sending, you know, the first week, everybody's there, everybody's alert, their pictures are on there, their videos on there, they're all fired up. 
in the second or third week, it started going down. So they had to shift gears. Uh, they put the kids in breakout rooms in Zoom now, and they get to do more collaboration on a smaller level. Uh, they've required the kids to do less, quote-unquote, busy work and more creative, uh, open-ended uh, learning. And the idea that if you didn't get an A on the test the first crack, why not, why not give you a second chance at it, you know? And the analogy I always use is if you fail your driver's license test the first time, doesn't mean you can't ever get your driver's license. And so teachers are now more flexible in understanding about giving kids different, not only different types of learning experiences, but also focusing on what are they literally learning rather than just delivering the content and hoping they learn it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Did you have any sense of how many students never just came back, that never checked in, uh, any, anything at all? We were really uh, fortunate. We, we did a tracking the first couple weeks, and we had over 90% the first week okay. checking in. And so after – that doesn't mean they've stayed checked in, though. Um, and then because our classified support staff are able to just work from home uh, and make calls for us, actually, and all of our counselors and our other administrators, we basically just divvied it up and said, we're going to check in with these kids, and we're going to figure out what we need to do. Some of our staff have gone to their houses, uh, delivering them their new iPad, or uh, they needed uh, the hotspots to get on the, the internet that we've been fortunate enough to have Cox you know, kind of partner with us a little bit. Uh, we have kids that live on the ranches out in Gaviota that go to DP, and they don't have internet access, they, and so we had to you know, kind of be creative there. But... The staff, I can't say it enough, they've just done whatever it takes to connect with kids, and we have very few kids that we are that are not engaged, at least at some level. The district allowed the grade or credit, no credit option. Mm -hmm. Did you see any mm -hmm. impact there? There were some parents, families suggesting that kids would take the credit, no credit, and therefore that would mean they wouldn't try as hard because they, they uh, knew that they could have that option. There were other parents who said, um, our students have been working hard before this and they'll continue to do that and they want the option for their for their grades. Did any of that bear out or do you, did you see anybody who uh, stopped interest when that um, credit, no credit became an option? Yes and no. Actually, the grades itself, the way that the district wrote the policy was that it, you, your grade is held harmless from the end of the third quarter when we, we had to go into remote learning. So if you had a kid who had, you know, A's in their classes and at the end of March, uh, some of them have figured out, oh, well, then that means my grade can't go down, so I'm going to check out a little bit more than, you know. And others that, to get credit, they needed to stay engaged because maybe they didn't have credit at the, the third quarter, so they've been working to increase their grade. It's been really complicated for our teachers to figure out because, and it brings up the whole question of grades as the motivating factor, this kind of intrinsic versus extrinsic learning um, certainly grades have always been the carrot for our students. I did a ton of research on this as the grading com conversation was happening and talked to college admissions officers, talked, saw what other districts did, had a lot of respect for what happened in Palo Alto, who went first and form out on the ledge and said, we're going credit, no credit. We want this to be across the board. This is not an equitable situation for some of our students. And I was like, whoa. What about the kid who, this was their junior year, and they needed those A's to get competitive for college. And uh, when I talked to the commissioned officers, they'd say, you know what, every district is doing different things anyway. It's going to be the asterisk semester no matter what. And so the grades are not really going to be the same 
have the same impact in, in a quote-unquote normal year. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated issue. I know our district struggle with it. Uh, I know our, our, our district grading committee did not ultimately agree with the district's decision. Um, reasonable people can disagree about that. Because it's, it's been this optional thing, it's been all over the map with some students and figuring out what grades I have and what grades I need or if I'm good already and I have my AP test coming up so I need to stay engaged even though my grade's good and teachers have been frustrated with some kids just checking out because hey I, I have credit already I'm good or I have an A already I'm good and others it's been great because hey you don't have credit now or you don't have an A, an a right now you can keep working for that you can your grade can only go up and so taking the pressure off of, of some of the kids to worry about the grading, yeah. that's been cool too. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at mm-hmm. DP and how you got your start in education and sort of a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, I uh, actually trained to be a journalist. <laughs> I was an English major at UCLA um, and I worked uh, for the Pasadena Star News, San Gabriel Valley Tribune uh, during uh, college and then after college. Uh, I started subbing on the side because I was a sports editor, a copy editor, so I was working a lot of nights and weekends and started subbing uh, high school and I got a long-term sub job uh, at the high school where my future wife was working. We met there and I really fell in love with, well, with her, but also with, <laughs> with the teaching and decided to, to, to shift gears. I taught down in the uh, LA area for a few years and we moved up here, both taught DP actually uh, in 2004 um, my wife has left to, to uh, since then to teach at Laguna Blanca. I taught uh, English, AP Lit. Uh, I coached the mock trial team here for a number of years. And then when Miss Carey, who is now the assistant superintendent, who was a principal at the time, uh, she went on maternity leave. I, I filled in for a little bit on the admin team uh, in about 2010 or 11, I guess. And then they asked me to, to stick on. And then I became the assistant principal of curriculum and instruction under her, who was sort of my mentor in terms of the the admin world. And uh, I did that for a while. I did that for like five or six years and really kind of really enjoyed the work uh, driving the school mission around learning. Um, really loved being part of her team. Then she got the job as the assistant superintendent and I had to apply for the, the job. Um, I was the interim while she, again, an interim when she went there for a while. And then our new, our new hiring uh, practices are really intense. So I had to go through a performance-based interview along with three other candidates and 20 people on the committee and three different like Hunger Games style <laughs> interview things and fortunate to, to get the job. So I've been here since 2004, but I've been principal since 2017. Wow. So let's let's go back a little bit to the first thing you mentioned. You used to be a journalist. Yes. So you had some training. Yes. So uh, did you like that? What did you enjoy about that? Uh, oh, I, I love sports and I loved uh, reading and writing when I was growing up. And that was, uh, I, I, I love the idea of getting paid to do what I loved, right? Yeah. And um, started doing it right, <laughs> right in the late 90s when... Uh, Journalism was sort of getting the, the, the impact of the internet, as you probably know better than anybody. <laughs> um, and so I, I knew that if I wanted to really make it in that business, I had to just be 100% committed. And when I started teaching and I would spend some of my, my time, my free time focusing on what could I do with my classes and my kids and classes and less about what story am I going to cover next or what you know what's my, my work at the paper, kind of was a clue to me that I was needing to shift gears into something that I, I wanted to just jump in 100%. And so working with high school students has always always you know, appealed to me from the moment I did it. I love the idea of being creative with students and 
showing them the enthusiasm for learning new things and um, it's been my my life's work since then. So can I find a byline of yours in the Pasadena you can. News Archive? Oh yeah, no, I covered some <laughs> cool things. I got to cover I got to cover my first big wing. Like I covered, covered the Mighty Ducks one time when the oh. the reporter back then they had a beat reporter even at the Pasadena Star News covering you know the Ducks, the Lakers, you know. So I got to cover some cool things, press conferences. Uh, I I was a little bit too dramatic. I, mostly I did high school uh, sports and. Every every I got I got criticized every story I did I tried to make into the most epic game I've ever covered and mm-hmm. you know really you know my nut graphs were all all just for nut graphs it's the part of the the story that's supposed to be the the heart of it mine would be a very very poetic <laughs> about right. about the uh, freshman that was you know starting on the, the the football team for the first time and my editors were always oh you got to tone this down mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little bit too much a little dramatic a little dramatic yeah yes. Well, that, that would be valued now because now we have so many competing sources of media. It's like you have to do everything you can to stand out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I still love the world of journalism, and and I, I taught the journalism class at DP. Our other media program here has been really successful. Our DP News program, doing the video and doing a, the KYT style news program, yeah. and so that's where all, all our kids are passionate about right now. Yeah. But this principal gig doesn't work out. That's where I'd go back and teach journalism and English and maybe coach the freshman baseball team. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the newspaper, like the Charger account, that mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, uh, it's it's on hiatus. Okay. Um, the kids who wanted to do that uh, are uh, co-seated in the called DP News class. And so um, we hope to bring it back if there's enough student interest to, to make that work as a separate class. Okay. Um, but we have a very uh, na- nationally ranked yearbook, and so that's where a lot of our journalism kids who want to do print journalism yeah. are, um, gravitate towards. And then also, again, our DP um, TV broadcast is very successful. That um, it's hard to keep all three of those things going at the level that we need to. So we put it on the course request list every every year to see, and then we see if we have enough to run the class. Yeah, my son's on the yearbook uh-huh. uh, team. Yeah, and even during this COVID nineteen, they they rushed to get it done, you know, under really auspicious circumstances. And hopefully, the, every yearbook plant in the country, except for one, shut down, and so we're delayed right now. There's only one plant in Tennessee doing every yearbook for every kid in America, I think, oh, or something like right now. Wow. Wow. So it might be a little bit delayed this year, but it's going to be phenomenal. It always is. So you talked about when you were working as a journalist, but you really found yourself you're calling more toward teaching and education and you really sort of like sharing that love for learning with the high school students that you interacted with where does that come from uh, did you always have that sort of sense of education what did your parents do uh, tell me about how that started uh, yeah my parents uh had a definite impact on me my my parents are both in the medical field my mom was a labor and delivery nurse at county usc for th- over 30 years and my father uh shifted careers mid-year to go into to medicine after being in the retail world um they're they're both teachers at heart and so my parents even though they're retired now they both teach in their field um they're learning to do remote learning too they teach uh, graduate uh, nursing classes and my mom had a my mom was always a big reader and um i i think i got that from her and then my dad uh just the discipline of um always like trying to find your passion like i saw his example he wasn't happy with with what he was doing uh for a living and when in the mid in the early 90s when there was a recession he took advantage of that to reinvent himself and he's like if i'm 
going to be working the next 20 years. I want to find my passion. And so both of those influences happened and I saw their example and he was way happier once he had done that. And so I just, I've always in my head, I was like, I got to find something I, I want to get up every day and get, be fired up to do. And I think that everybody wants that. And I'm lucky enough to have found that. And that's what I hope to instill in all my students and our, and our, our teachers want to instill is, um, you know, certainly you don't have to have your work career be your passion, but find what you're passionate about and pursue it. And if you can marry the two, it's always, of course, gravy. <laughs> what do you think of sort of where we're at right now in terms of the leadership of Santa Barbara Unified? We're going to get a new superintendent uh, soon. Um, we've got uh, a school board. We've got a couple positions that are going to be open for uh, election. What do you think of what's happening at the school district? I I get a sense in covering these that there's a very loud vocal group of mm. critics who mm. uh, put a lot of pressure on the district on a few projects. Mm. Uh, there's obviously most parents who mm. are uh, never going to go to a school board meeting and they're mm. never going to say anything and so presumably things are working fine for them or they just don't have the time to, mm. to go be uh, activists at a meeting. What's your assessment of the district right now in terms of its oversight of our schools? Yeah, I'm really, it's going to be a really interesting year. Um, new superintendent hopefully be announced, I think, by the end of this month. Um, and that's going to be a major player. I, I would, of course, if, unless you have your head in the sand, you know that there's been controversy. And some of it for me is very frustrating because there's some really talented, you know, caring, thoughtful people. Uh, leaders down there that I know heart of hearts are doing the best for kids this this community is a I've taught in and worked in other places the challenges of this community are that every the the needs of some of our populations are so different uh, and make, making their needs meeting their needs is a challenge in an environment where um, some people think it's a zero-sum game like if, if you're focusing on this, these students then you're not focusing on my student and I've never seen it that way and I, I get frustrated sometimes when it gets it gets heated and, and I wish people would come to us more um, uh, I do think uh, because we, we you know we all want what's best for our students and some of the, the controversies have been I would say become personal rather than just you know, policy focused. And when it becomes personal, that's where I got upset is I, I felt like things were not being, the stories of our schools were not being told. And that's our responsibility as school leaders to do that better, to talk to the media, to, to share what's happening at our school, to share our challenges as well as our successes. Um, I would hope that whoever comes in, I've, I know he or she will see this team around them and see that they, they all the people, pieces are in place to do really good things. The challenges are going to be immense now, especially now with the financial challenges in schools. So the, the new person is going to have to be a great communicator, but also try to bring people together um, and, and pay attention to, to that. I was, you know, I, I've been watching uh, a superintendent I've really, in the last six weeks, I've been watching some of them. The Palo Alto superintendent has impressed the heck out of me in terms of uh, how he has uh, rallied the community together, and I think the board needs to support the superintendent and the and the staff. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, there's a there's a place for for them to to, to they, they are the elected officials that oversee the the school district. I wish the the Brown Act would allow 
allow them to come talk to us more too. So like the grading d- debate, I yeah. was really hoping one of them would pick up a phone and go, hey, what do you think? Right. I'm doing this for 20 years. You, you have a, a junior in high school who's a high-performing junior. You know, you're a parent. Uh, you're getting it from all sides. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, I'd spent six weeks, you know, looking under every rock about this and changing my mind 14 times about it, and I'd come to the decision that I thought was really a, the best for our school community, um, and share that with our, the committee. But sometimes I feel like there needs to be more back and forth. Come on out to the schools, you know, walk around the schools. Let's talk as we're walking around, and we can talk about our challenges. We can, and this goes not for just for board members. This is for the critics of the district. Yeah. Come on out. You know, we're open books. We'll walk you around. If you have, sometimes I hear things and I go, have you even been on our campus? Have you been to a PTA meeting? <laughs> like, that's not my experience. Mm-hmm. Other times, they bring up really good points that we need to address. Um, so we got to work together. Yeah. And I'm hoping the person that comes in can really channel all the, the community spirit because there are such great things happening in our community, all the nonprofits that support education. All the social emotional work that's happening to help support kids, um, all the pieces are in place. So I think we're going to go, we're going to be fine, but it's going to be an interesting year to see who gets that position. You mentioned the social emotional work, uh, just communities. Like, yeah. as somebody who I'm sure has been through that training and is on the ground, and there was some controversy about that, can you sort of summarize why that? works and why it's not discriminatory to to others i mean i'm assuming you're supportive Mm -hmm. of the program but can you help sort of people understand why uh, it's something from your perspective that's needed yeah um i i've been through the just communities trainings um and when you when i've been through it and others that have been through it you leave that training with just um you're you're empowered to work on issues that are super complex uh so around our school district it's no surprise that our school we have uh vast disparities in income among our students on our campuses more than other communities do in their public schools typically um and those break down along uh racial ethnic lines typically right so um in the just communities we're learning, you see the, the history of that, mm-hmm. of how that happened in America, and you come out going, wow, how, we, need it. we need to not just talk about this, we need to do things. Good example is on, in the just communities training, one of the, the, the cool things, I hope I'm, I'm not giving something away, but you sit down for a, a meeting and they have uh, the paper that, for the meeting, and I picked it up in the training and I look at it and it's only in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And the presentation starts only in Spanish. And I am feeling anxiety about that i can't listen i don't know what's going on i want to but i can't i can't read this what how can i guess and then i start tuning out and that's a good example so we at dp make sure that if we want all our families to be engaged in education we're going to make sure we translate our materials we're going to make sure we have interpretation um, for those families so they can be engaged uh in our english classes do we see or do our students experience windows and mirrors so there's a big a big gap in terms of you know do you see yourself reflected in the curriculum and do you see others reflected and so a train you know part of the just community's work with our english department was like yeah you have you have you know you have to kill mockingbird you have mice and men you have these great works that are dealing with social racial issues but your school population is 45 percent latino hispanic and all the works are dealing with racism between blacks and whites and they're all told from a white author's perspective not that those are bad. They're great works. You keep teaching them, but 
Can you expand what your, your students are experiencing? Can they see themselves and their communities reflected in the curriculum? And not simply just the immigrant experience story, which is a great thing to hear, but do they see examples of middle-class families that are not white? Um, those are the kind of things that Just Communities helped us do at DP. We, have, we, of course, have, like other schools all over the country, an achievement gap that breaks down really on socioeconomic lines. Um, and the work that, that Just Communities has done, I think it's been unfairly criticized as having some sort of agenda or some sort of political. That's not what I've experienced. If I did, I wouldn't feel comfortable with it being going through it or being in my schools. I understand how people feel that it's got this bias or this liberal uh, kind of kind of a, a approach. There's that sort of nefarious mission to undermine things. Again, not a zero-sum game. Just because we want to lift up our students doesn't mean others have to be taken down. Mm. I think we, we need to work on lifting all of them, all of them up. The achievement gap is uh, it's tough. It's really tough. We've made progress in some areas. We get all excited. And then other times we, we've, we've pulled back, and, um, but we're focusing on that all the time. We've seen some successes in terms of our AP and IB classes, uh, our advanced classes. We, um, we brought in who could come into those classes a few years ago. And so maybe even parents said, oh, you're going to water them down. It's not going to be as good. And last year, more kids took an AP test at DP than ever before. And we had the highest pass rate we've ever had at school as well overall. And every subgroup increase their scores and the idea is you just give them more rigorous experiences all students and you um you can lift them up but it's a it's a challenging challenging task to try to meet the needs of such a diverse group of students on one campus looking ahead at uh august or when the next uh uh, school year starts what is your sense do you think that we're going to be able to have classes return to normal is it going to be every other day with social distancing i know we don't have a crystal ball no one knows but what what is what do you think it's going to look like yeah i mean that's now that's now that we have graduation ceremony set and school is winding down we are shifting gears to looking at that um potential the state's going to leave it up to districts to to looks like to figure it out based on the public health orders Mm -hmm. of course we want to be back full time um, we want all of the freshmen to be together. We want all of the seniors to be together. You know, I have a, I have a, I have an incoming freshman, and I have a daughter who's going to be a senior, and they're both so excited, like all kids are, about what high school experience is going to be. And the thought of not being on campus in the fall is is scary for them. Um, certainly, it's going to look different. If I had to guess, uh, people need to go back to work, and if they need to go back to work, they're going to need their kids to be in school. So I don't know. Some of the plans have been like every other day we'll have a third of our kids on campus and we'll socially distance them on our campus. Um, I, I, that's really probably right now the most uh, likely scenario at first if things are going to stay the way they are. I don't know how that's going to work <laughs> itself. There's others that are, are thinking like we could start off uh, like that, but if somebody gets sick, or then what happens? And some people are really nervous about that. Others are like, we just need to go back. Education is too important. So I guess a long way of saying we're not going to commit to anything too quick because things three weeks from now could be way different than now. So if we said, like, the CSU is dead, we're all going online next year right now, I think that might be premature. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to wait as long as we can, but also then give our families enough heads up about what's going to be. 
I'm just hoping along hope that we can all be back. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Bill, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been a really good conversation, and you've shed a light on, shed light on a lot of things. So. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to talk to people. No, I'm happy to do it. This has been great. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, yeah great. All right. Thank you.